We're going to be in Matthew 28 um, this morning, and uh, we're going to begin at verse 16 and end through the chapter. So I'll give you a second to uh, pull that up in your Bibles. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Pam. Well, this morning, before we head into our baptism, I want to take uh, just a few moments, a few minutes, to talk about the Great Commission and evangelism or mission and evangelism. Two topics I know, I know when we talk about the idea of mission and evangelism. They are two topics that, can, if we're honest with each other, can sometimes bring a chill down our spine. Mission and evangelism. But I think honesty is best in church life. And if we're honest in the church, something, and not just Bethany, but the church maybe in America, something feels a bit wonky with the idea of discipleship and evangelism and mission. I mean, you and I know, I know, I'm meant to share the gospel. And you know that too. But I also know that sometimes it feels like a real struggle and even discouraging, doesn't it? Discouraging at times. Somehow, Mission and evangelism has kind of become the um, Cinderella at the ball in the church. Cinderella at the ball, something that we aspire to, something we would love to do, that we look at and we admire those who do something so wonderful and beautiful. And you have, I know, as I do, these true longings and desires for our friends and our family, those who don't know Christ and our neighbors, to trust Christ. That You have those longings. I know you do. Because I do too. But when it comes right down to it, when we see mission and evangelism, we can end up treating it more like the ugly stepsisters and the Cinderella at the ball. We need to hide away in the attic after the clock has struck midnight. You know the story. To hide away. We all know that feeling. And an opportunity we see that God has given to us to share the gospel, to share the truth of Christ, to share our love for him. That opportunity has come knocking, and we have a moment to share. And that, and that excitement and passion that was there, maybe when we heard the sermon at church on the Sunday morning or in our prayer life, or that last motivational message on evangelism we watched on YouTube, we know that when that passion dries up, sometimes when the moment hits. And the opportunity is there. Words disappear. Have you ever had that happen? Uh, yeah, I see some hands out there. A couple, of, yeah, I, and then later on, you're like, "I should have said that, right?" We all have that, 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 those moments and experiences, and um, words disappear, and courage dries up, and you got that strange dry mouth. That you guys are quiet today. Are you guys here? Yeah, the strange dry mouth, bitter taste in your mouth, 
that happens as that tension is there between the joyful rally cry of Jesus and the Great Commission that we just heard read by Pam and the reality of kind of retreating and hiding the ugly stepsister in the attic kind of plays out. This morning I want to take a few minutes and I want to just revisit Jesus' words. And I thought it's just good to start with honesty as we come to this passage as we come to Jesus' words on a baptism Sunday, and we're going to be encouraged to see a beautiful piece of this discipleship call in just a moment. But before we do that, we're going to look quickly at three truths from this short passage about the Great Commission. We're going to look and hear about a power, a commandment, and a promise. A power, a commandment, and a promise. So let's begin with the power. Hopefully you got your outline there. Grab it and take it out so you can take some notes if you're the kind of person that learns through jotting and writing and going back to and have your text open to Matthew 28. We'll be rereading it. But let's look at the power first. Jesus claims the power of authority is our first truth over the entire earth, over all things. Jesus claims this power and authority right up front with his disciples. I think as we talk about the challenges and sort of spine-chilling effects that the topics and words like evangelism and mission can bring, I think if we're honest, our greatest problem with evangelism is that sometimes our hearts aren't really in it. We came to Jesus, we've been given, do you remember when that that happened for you? We We had been given this free offer of grace and salvation, and now there's this puzzling and strange call to recruit and train and evangelize and and train and build up new disciples. And we all sometimes, I think, kind of grumble at it, maybe even in our heart resent it at times. Wait a minute, what's this mission thing? Attached onto my free gift of salvation. I'm not sure I signed up for this this add-on to what I thought I was getting from Jesus. We kind of feel like, well, Jesus has now done his part and now he barks orders from heaven, you know, disciples get busy. It's kind of as if we're on our own. But nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. We are not on our own. You are not on your own in this mission to make disciples. Look at verse 16 with me again. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. So the context here, this is after the resurrection. At the end of Matthew's gospel, um, after the resurrection, he meets with his disciples on a mountaintop. You know what's really interesting about mountains in the Bible? They're always the place where God, where heaven and earth meet, where God comes to interact with his people. All through the Bible, Eden was probably on a mountaintop where he interacted with Adam and Eve, to, to, to Moses and Abraham. And Jesus was always going to mountaintops too, wasn't he? Sermon on the... Yeah, right, always to mountaintops. He was transfigured on the mountain. And now here he meets them again on a mountain top. And there he reminds them in this first truth of his power that all authority on heaven and earth is mine, he says. Talk about a statement of God in flesh meeting humanity on the mountaintop. All authority on heaven and earth is mine. As we come to this idea of evangelism and mission and think about Christ and his power and authority, I want us to hear this. Our greatest problem, your greatest challenge, my greatest problem with evangelism are actually first and foremost 
problems with our relationship with God. Let me say that again. Our greatest challenges and problems and struggles with mission and evangelism, actually, first and foremost, are probably struggles and challenges and problems with our relationship with God. And here Jesus reminds the 11 disciples as he passes off this baton to them, think of a race as they take the baton as they're running and to go with it, or the red thread that Diu mentioned. They're given this red thread to take and run and push through all their life. He reminds them here who he is. He is the author of life. He is the one on the mountaintop where heaven and earth are meeting, where he's bringing a message to his disciples after his resurrection before he's ready to ascend into heaven. His authority covers all things. He said, all things, heaven and earth, is mine. And if we just looked at that verse... And what seems to follow with that great commission? He's, oh, I have all authority. Go and make disciples. If we just stopped there and looked at there, it would kind of be this dry and demanding task given from maybe this power-hungry king. I've got all authority. Now get to it, disciples. If we just stopped there, it'd be like we were part of a PR firm and we had the really bad client assigned to us. <laughs> and now it was our job to go and really make him attractive and his mission attractive to the, to the world. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound... Sign me up for that, right? Who gets the bad client? But did you see here, in the verse, did you see here, it all sprung from worship. Did you see right before that? When they saw him, they worshiped. When they saw him, verse 16 says... And that, this is why what follows in the Great Commission begins with your relationship with God. They worshiped him when they saw him. If, if Jesus' authority and power means to you that he's out to impose himself on the world as a boss or a greedy, egotistical man who wants to kind of suck the world dry of glory, I mean, is that the kind of thing you get excited to share? No, of course not. But... If he is the one you worship, if he's the one you worship, like the disciples did on that mountain, that, that, that changes everything. If it springs from worship rather than a, a taskmaster who's got a lot of power and authority and is bossing you around, if it springs from worship, that's an entirely different thing, isn't it? That's an entirely different heart of the matter. That means the one who owns the world and has all authority, and he does. If it springs from worship, it means that one who has all that authority is also beautiful to you. Is Jesus beautiful to you? And I don't just mean you intellectually believe in him. I don't even mean that intellectually he's your savior. I mean, is he beautiful to you? Not as the handsomest man alive, of course. <laughs> Isaiah lets us know he probably wasn't. But is he beautiful in his character? His person, like we, our series, The Heart of Jesus, we went through? And his love for you, his tender heart for you. Is he beautiful to you in that way? Not just intellectually, but is he beautiful to you as Savior? I read a great article this week, written by these two men, about the Great Commission and evangelism. And in their article, they said their aim, my aim, they said, is to set before your eyes God as he truly is, who is so full of life and goodness that he loves to be known, not as a campaign to impose himself on us or on the world, 
but to give himself and share his own life with the world. We want to show that the God of mission is no different from the God of the gospel. In fact, it's precisely because God is outgoing and communicative that he is so good and delightful. His natural fullness and superabundance mean that he does not need to take or demand from us, but freely and kindly loves to bless us. His mission is not to wring out the world for every last drop, but to fill it with his own divine joy and beauty. Seeing this glorious God will change everything for us. See, it's based on relationship. They saw him and they worshiped. Then he said to them, well, now go. If you worship me, if you know me, if you love me, now go. Same reason God built the relationship with the Israelites before he ever gave them the law. It's always worked that way. He saved them, delivered them, and then said, now go do this. It's this same picture here on the mountaintop. He came, they worshiped, he's resurrected. Well, now go and live this way. It's based on your relationship. They worshiped him. And so the red thread was carried. The baton was passed off to them. You see, the authority that Jesus wants to bring over the earth is actually an authority that's over the structures and the way the world defines authority. Of course, it, it, it contains the idea of power and might and strength, which Jesus has. But how did Jesus use that power, might, and strength? How did he use it to save sinners, to give his life, to share himself with the world? The God of mission, this quote just said, is no different than the God of the gospel. They're one and the same. And if we're going to even scratch the surface of the mission God has given us, we have to know the one who gives us this great charge and know that he is the one who in all power exercises a loving power. In all authority exercises a sacrificial authority to share himself and his life with the world. And he's passed on that authority to us to share him for the life of the world a world that's dark that you heard, uh, do you say there, a world that's dying, a world in some places that's got 1% of the population that knows Jesus. Mission is to be, in other words, the natural overflow and expression of our own joy, our own pleasure, our own enjoyment that we get from living under Christ's lordship, living under Christ's authority in our own life. So that like he shares himself for the life of the world, we too, you and I, get that privilege as well to share him for the life of the world and fill it with his authoritative goodness and grace. That same article went on. I liked how they finished it up. I said, you know, we can't really drum up enthusiasm for mission as some kind of abstract activity. Like, well, here's our program. Here's our thing. Here's what we're going to do that you just got to get on with. Especially if it's cake, the quote goes on, and all kinds of negative assumptions and worries. But to see God as he really is, that's relationship, is to delight in him. And as we grow in the knowledge and love of this God, we will find blossoming in ourselves his own desire to see the world filled with his blessing. Remember, on the mountain, they worshiped. He didn't just give them this command, here's the program, get with it, drum up a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. How quick does that wane off 
or in our lives and disappear, right? Really quick. But when it's something that happens from the inside out, which is worship, rather than external outward in, that can sustain you for a life. Inside out rather than outside in. See the difference there? It's a big difference. On the mountain, they worshiped him. So that question again, is Jesus beautiful to you? Not as an abstract concept. Is he beautiful to you as a person? As a real, living God in flesh? That's a question to ask. That's a question to ponder. That's a question to spend your whole life on, really. Is he beautiful to you? Because if he's not, mission and evangelism is not going to come easily. In fact, it might not come at all. And if it does, it'll be one of those kind of stirred up, drummed up time of enthusiasm that'll wax and wane and disappear quickly. Is he beautiful to you? To the degree that he is beautiful in his person, in his love for you, in his tender heart for you, to the degree he is beautiful to you personally and in our church, to that degree we will delight in him. And as the quote said, blossom in ourselves and his own desire to see the world filled with his authoritative goodness and blessing. That's great commission stuff. That's, that's, that, that's a vital for a, a worshiping community because it's not just an individualistic enterprise we go on. It's not just. Of course, are there opportunities in your life as an individual to share with others? Yes. But it's not in an individualistic enterprise. It flows from a community. And a community specifically that has a vital spiritual life that's connected to, to Christ. And where life, all of life is seen as worship, not just what we do when we sit next to each other in the chairs. But a vital community that's like a gospel hub, uh, an evangel uh, or a gospel outpost. What happens at the hub? It's the center. It's a strong point. It's where we gather to fill our hearts and lives with Christ. But the, the spokes don't stay at the hub, right? They go out to the rest of the wheel. And it's actually those spokes, when they go out from the center hub, that makes the wheel stronger. That's what we are. We're a gospel hub, a gospel outpost. We gather to scatter. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. It's not individualistic enterprise. And the Great Commission, it springs from worship and love of God and neighbor. And once you have found it, you long to spread it over the entire earth. He's given us this authority because he has all authority. So that's the power and the authority. Let's go to the command. Because we want to be clear, the Great Commission, it's not a recommendation it's not the great recommendation. It is, a, it is a commandment. So let's look at it. Jesus commands the discipling of all nations in the going. There it is. Jesus commands the discipling of the nations in the going. Verse 19, again, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus assumes we will be doing this. It's not kind of an optional add-on. It kind of literally says, as you are going, while you are going, uh, Jesus kind of assumes you're going to be going, while you're going, make disciples. Our Vine Project team, we've got this team of five people called the Vine Project. You probably heard about it in the last year. It's kind of a two-year process, and we're about halfway. Our Vine Project has been a group of 
five individuals who have gathered to spend about two years growing in our understanding of how the Bible defines discipleship. And as we do that, our goal, this small team, is to um, kind of do an audit of the church here at Bethany and our ministry and our life together and our culture and, and look at how we think about discipleship. That team has thought of kind of the best word to help us understand what discipleship is, is an apprentice. It's really an apprentice of Jesus. And who is an apprentice? What is an apprentice? There's someone that is trained. There's someone who comes along, a master craftsman, spends time with him, spends time with her, watches him or her, and doing what, what he or she does, they follow as an apprentice this master craftsman to become more like him or her. And so Jesus gave us a few things to do in this apprenticing. And the first one was baptism. We're baptizing. As we go, we're baptizing. We're going to talk about three quick ones here that he gives us in this verse 19. We are baptizing. So uh, for, for Nora today, this is just the beginning of her journey as an apprentice of Jesus. She's just starting out. And it's a super significant day, but really... Any one of us, when we get baptized, it's really just the beginning. It's really just the start of all of our days as we walk with Jesus and as an apprentice disciple. You see, Jesus isn't just concerned or satisfied with getting uh, hasty professions of faith or perfunctory baptisms. Like if it was just about like getting checks and numbers we're not called just to get decisions for Christ. We're called to make robust disciples of Christ. Not just decisions. And that takes days and years and a long time to have happen. It's a lifetime to be formed and molded and shaped and apprenticed people. That can't happen overnight. Some of you have been in the church for 40 years, maybe 50. Guess what? you still have some to go. Some of us are, you know, 20 years, 30 years. Some of us are maybe day one or year one. Well, you know that you have some time to go, don't you? All that to say, we all have time to go. The molded and shaped, which leads from baptizing to teaching. Teaching them, Jesus says. It's important to know Jesus, to know what he taught, to know who he is, to know what he has done. We've been seeing this so clearly in our first Thessalonians series, haven't we? Where Paul, in his letter to them, we saw it last week in chapter 4, verse 1. I'll read it to you. Remember, he said, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and, what is it? More. More and more. For you know, he repeats again, what instructions we gave you from our own mouth, from my ideas. No, through the Lord Jesus. It's a teaching that should carry with it a, a, a life of transformation, a walk that pleases God, Paul said, that we're to do so more and more, to grow, to change, to apprentice is the word. And he calls it here how we do that, observing. By observing the things that I've commanded you. Teach them to observe all I've commanded you. You see, we are not, as a church, we are not a museum to house perfectly put together saints. We are a hospital 
for sick sinners. That's what we are. We are a hospital for sick sinners. But no one wants to stay in the hospital, do they? No. You want to get home as soon as you can. And we want to grow in health and in spiritual life and vigor. It's the nurture and act, the N and A of our DNA groups that are getting going. Starting a couple new ones this week, actually. Uh, Discover God, D. N, nurture the gospel. A, act, or as Jesus puts it here, observe. Teach and observe. Live it. Grow. Do so, 1 Thessalonians, more and more. Walk this way. But spread it. We don't live in the hospital, do we? Sometimes I feel like I live here. I'm here a lot. But we don't live in the hospital, right? And actually, when I see you guys outside, of the, I know how weird it is, like, Half the time, people don't even recognize me. Like, you saw your second grade teacher at the grocery store, and you're like, you don't live in the closet at school? <laughs> it's like that weird feeling. And when I see somebody outside of the church, you're like, oh, yeah, I know who you are now. Uh, yeah, take off your hat and your sunglasses. Oh, it's you. Okay. We don't, we don't live in the hospital, do we? We don't live here. We go out. We spread it. We live out there. Disciples of all nations, he says. It's always directed outwards, like the spokes from the hub always directed outwards to the unreached. John Stott says that a Christian church must never degenerate into a comfortable club for the like-minded. We don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. I hope you don't want to be that. It's always called to be a discipling, a teaching, an evangelizing outpost. And this commandment is so comprehensive in its scope of discipling the whole person from the whole humanity, that it seems actually wholly impossible, doesn't it? (laughs) It sounds like, yeah, this is too good to be true. Unless, unless we have this last promise. When the Lord commands something, he enables us. Take a look at three. The promise, Jesus promises us the assurance of his presence to fulfill the going, to fulfill the doing, to fulfill the life of a disciple. He says at the end of 20 there, And behold, I'm with you always, for a day, for two days, for a month, for years. No, I'm with you always, and I'm with you always to the expanse of time, to the end of age, to when I come back again. From start to finish, Jesus says, I'm with you to the end of the age. It's the church age. It's the new life. It's our age now, the new covenant, until he returns The promise to be with us indicates how we are to be empowered to carry out the mission. But you have to know the mission giver, don't you? Does the red thread run through your life? Is he beautiful to you? Again, to that question. That's how we're empowered. And really, this goes back to the commission, all the way back, really, to the garden. Take God's glory to the ends of the earth. You know, the mission in the garden didn't stop there. that wasn't final completed state of all things and it wasn't maybe even perfect. It was to spread out from there. It was good, but they always had a mission to spread out from the garden, from the hub, from the center, to take it out. It goes back to that garden even. Take it to the end of the earth. But where Adam failed and Israel failed their mission too, Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. The same divine presence is with us today to help us carry out the mission. The same God. As Moses said to the people of Israel in his transfer of leadership to Joshua, and Nora's going to, this is one of her favorite verse, so I want to put up here today. He said to them, be strong and courageous. 
Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. He'll not leave you. He'll not forsake you. Until the end of the age, Jesus said to them. And that's the grand plan of all history. The grand plan of all history. That means the big purpose of all history is for Jesus Christ to return to earth. And when he returns to a new heaven and an earth, the grand plan of all history is to gather a redeemed people around him, a redeemed humanity, to gather around his throne and to be with him forever in a new heaven and earth. Can we see the great commission with that kind of joy and excitement? It is the mission of the world. It is the purpose for the breath in your lungs. The final coming of Christ back to earth that he'll go with us on this apprenticing, gospel-sharing mission until he comes back. I mean, if, so if you're living outside of that, do, do we realize that those who are of the 99% as DU was sharing or those in our community that don't know the Lord, do you realize you're like, you're not even really living for the purpose you were created. You might have a good life, a healthy life, a wealthy life, some fun along the way, but you're like not living for the way you were even designed and made. So you're trying to use something, a life and a body and a soul, for something it's not even ever meant to really be used for, for yourself. It was meant to be used for God. And in that comes the joy. In that comes the glory. In that comes the life of the world. And we get to be part of that. The grand plan for this planet. And you get to be a small part of that. This morning, we all do. As we baptize Nora. We get to be a small part of that today as our family's here too. The power of Jesus' authority, the commandment to be discipling, but the presence of Jesus here and now for Nora as she starts her journey today. So I'm going to have her come up front. I think some of her family's going to come too. We're going to meet down there at that music stand as we now get to be part of a small part of Nora's life. It's a big part really, but a small in the grand scheme of her life a part of her um, sharing in Jesus and starting this journey of discipleship. There you go. So we got mom and dad here. That's Bill Horton. And Katie's our children's director. And this is their oldest daughter, Nora. They have Audrey and Emmett also. But Nora's here today. How old are you, Nora? 11 years old. Okay. So I was going to ask you, it's sort of easy now, what's your name? That's an easy one. Nora Horton. Okay, this is Nora Horton. And uh, how long have you been at Bethany Church? Do you know? About five years. I think that's right. I think you guys came about the time, around the time I started here as pastor. So about five years. So uh, I want to talk, we're going to talk a little bit a minute about your life as becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Nora and I have had the privilege of getting together a couple times talking about baptism, talking about Jesus. She went through our uh, class a while back on baptism with some other kids. And so we had a great time just talking about it. And um, I know Nora likes to think deeply about God. I know she feels deeply too. So why don't you share with us a little bit, Nora, about how, how did you come to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I grew up going to church, and as I got older, I struggled with sin and being hard on myself. And I have a hard time when I fall short, but... 
I had to learn that he still calls me good. He wants to make me more like him. And my Sunday school teachers, my parents, my grandparents all helped me know him more. Mm. Knowing he made the ultimate sacrifice and suffered in my place helped me trust him with my life. Mm. I want you to know you're not alone. How many of you are hard on yourself? Would you raise your hand, please? You are not alone. You're in good company today. We all can be hard on ourselves. and We all feel like we should be better than we should. And of course, Nora, Jesus wants to grow you and change you and lead you in life, but you're not alone. Each and every one of us is hard on ourselves. I love how you share that. It took some teachers. It took some Sunday school teachers. It took your parents here in your life helping you see that even when you're hard on yourself, Jesus has free grace for you, pure grace for you, pure love and forgiveness for you. He loves you. Well, share then, as you've come to trust Christ, and like we said, you're just starting this journey of your life of living as a disciple for him. How has God been at work in your life lately? Spending more time with him in prayer and reading my Bible has helped him shape my heart. I'm a little less hard on myself Hmm. because I know he loves me. He has made me more patient and thoughtful and less nervous. Yeah, that's excellent. His word is where we find his heart. We find his heart for us. That's where God's revealed himself to us. And when we go there, we find a loving God with open arms who cares for us. And I love that. A little less hard on myself. You kind of sound like Paul in 1 Thessalonians. More and more. More and more we want to walk in a way that pleases him. Well, we got to hear your verse, but I want to hear it again. What is your, what's your uh, favorite verse from the Bible uh, for you? And then maybe why. So why don't you read it first, and then we'll ask why that one. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Mm. You know, Moses was speaking those words to Joshua when he was getting ready to die, and Joshua was probably really scared. And you know what? He probably had the temptation to be really hard on himself. And instead of Moses saying, get a hold of yourself, Joshua, you know, figure it out, get with it. He said, no, remember who God is. Remember who he is. And I know it took a lot for you to get up here today. And you are doing awesome. I can see the courage of the Lord bringing you here in front of everybody today. Why that verse? Why do you like that verse? Because it reminds me to be strong and courageous and God is with me. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, Nora, can you say today that with confidence you have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. Great. I think, Katie, I think mom is going to pray right now and dad's going to help me dunk you. So why don't we have, uh, mom's going to pray, so let's do that. Let's bow. Pray for Nora.